Amen. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. You know, I was reminded today, hey, let's say goodbye to our junior hires. I think our, our, um, our grade school guys already left. I gotta tell you, I know I say this maybe every week, maybe every other week, but every time I stand up here and I see that section, I just get so encouraged because it's just getting bigger and bigger, right? That section is growing there. And I think word's out, right, that God's good and he's moving at Bridge Community Church. So uh, welcome. If you're, if you're new with us, uh, we're glad that you've come today and, and to worship with us, and we welcome you. And, and, um, and yeah, it's, a, it's been one crazy week, and I want to just begin uh, my message here by, um, by honoring Phyllis Weiss, because I can. Phyllis Weiss, okay, Phyllis, I'll, you can clap before I even honor her. On... On Wednesday, Phyllis Weiss turned 29, and, and it was a celebration, and I, I texted her on Friday, I think, and I told her, I said, Phyllis, anyone could text you on your birthday, but your good friends wait a couple days, right? <laughs> so I waited a couple days to keep the celebration alive, and now I'm taking it even further. We're going the whole month, Phyllis. But for those of you that, that don't know um, Phyllis, the reason we honor her, we would honor anyone, really, but um, Phyllis's husband, Noel, was the founder of, of this church, and, and I like to say that um, what God is doing in these days, that we have the privilege of standing on the shoulders of giants. And Phyllis, you um, are a wonderful woman of God, and you're a blessing to us. You're a blessing in our lives. You're also the most viewed podcast on our uh, Bridge Stories, <laughs> so we know you're cool. Um, but truthfully, uh, we couldn't imagine our lives without you, and we're grateful for you. So happy birthday. We won't sing the whole song to you, but our hearts are with you. In, in all seriousness, we have that um, Bridge Stories podcast, and you should check it out. Phyllis's story, Phyllis's story is amazing, and it also touches on the history of our church. And so if you have a chance, you can get it on YouTube or wherever you find your podcasts. Um, but I would encourage you to not only check her story out, but so many stories. This is an opportunity for you to hear extended testimonies, right? You know, it's one thing for someone to come up and be, um, you know, set in like, give us your whole story, your whole Jesus story in 15 minutes or 25 minutes. But we're like, hey, turn the camera on. Just talk. Let's have a conversation, and we want to hear your whole story. So it's a wonderful resource to encourage you in your faith, and um, and yours particularly was so encouraging because it told so much of the history, and we're grateful for it. Um, This morning, I'm grateful for God's Word. I have to say that. I'm grateful every week for His Word, but there's something so supernatural about opening the book, right? Opening His Word and letting Him lead. And when when the Bible describes itself as a lamp and a light, and God's Word truly is, that it's not just words on a page, but it's the Word of the Lord, right? And so we're we're about to open up and, and listen to what God is saying. And I'm I'm overwhelmed and so just grateful for the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we are just going through the book of Exodus. Today, I think we might get, we might get six verses in, I got to tell you, because I spent a lot of time in Exodus chapter 19. Um, when I began reading Exodus 19, I was just overwhelmed, and I kept reading it and reading it. One of the things I like to do, and I may encourage you to do it as well, is uh, if, if you struggle with reading and really, um, specifically the Bible, you might want to listen to it. And you're living in such a wonderful time where there's an app you can get on your phone, and there's a, a good voice, you know, not just some robot voice that's reading in weird cadence, but a real human voice that, that reads the scripture. And, and so I just listened to it over and over in my mind. 
um, as I went about my day and study. And it's funny because even as I'm reading it now, the, the text has a voice to it. It's that guy's voice, right? It used to, you know, like how sometimes you're reading and you can hear something. But um, anyways, I, I would just say that that's part of, of really meditating on God's word and allowing it to get into you. And so I'd have to say the first time I read it, maybe like when you read the Bible, the first go at it, it's like, huh? You know, your little head scratching. You try to pay attention. You try to observe key things. And then the, the more that you keep going, the more that you see the richness of what God is saying. But all that aside, um, the, the wonder and the miracle of God's word is how it leads us in a moment in time. See, the, the, the Lord knew that we would this week need Exodus chapter 19. The Lord knew that I personally would need Exodus 19. I didn't, I'm not that smart, right? I don't know how to plan that good, but, the, but God is that good in your life that he's always faithful. Are you hearing me? And so we don't have to go Bible roulette searching. I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking up uh, passages of Scripture in the Bible. But as we continuously read through the Bible, he has a message for his people. He's not left us alone. God knows the wild range of emotions that we would experience in any one week. In any one week, we can go from, from massive celebration to deep mourning. In fact, in any given day, you can go from just the heights of yay to the, to the lows of, of news that just gets you so deeply. It was that kind of week for me personally, and I'm sure it was that kind of week for some of you. Uh, for those of you, Martha and Doug, we just want to just say right out of the gate how much we love you and how, how much we've been praying for you. But for those of you that don't know the Mings, maybe you're visiting and um, but their son, Robert, um, died in a tragic airplane accident, in an airplane crash. And to, to receive that news, while, while many were maybe celebrating and, and watching a football game, their story was a little bit different. And, and I believe that so much of this message is for the two of you. Um, last night, I was sitting on the couch, and I had done my study, and, and um, just, just sort of just there with... Um, just enjoying the night, right? And it was kind of rare, too, because a lot of times I'm, I'm staying out in my little office till late and get a phone call from our police department. And I serve as a police chaplain, and the, they said, we need you to go down to, to UCI. There's been a terrible accident um, that there was a, a, a helicopter crash. And many of you saw it on the news at Huntington Beach Police Department that one survivor and, and one deceased. And... To know that in, in that moment in time, what the power of God's word and that, that the word of God and that the spirit of God and the goodness of God can carry you. And I, I arrived there and uh, just didn't even know a lot of the details and was put right in the room um, with somebody who, you know, the surviving pilot who needed God's comfort. And, and I told him there that we as a church would be praying. That was what the request was. Um, praying for him, for his family, and for the family of the officer who tragically lost his life in the line of duty. You see, this is just overwhelming. And, and those are just two things. Connie, you just recently lost your husband. Joe, you lost your dad. Elaine, you've lost your husband. You know, we could go around the room and we can talk about the, the difficulties that we face, that these are real tragedies, these are real life-changing events. And so it's, it's one thing to just sort of uh, click through a sermon. It's another thing for the body of Christ to be there for one another, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And guess what? We get to do all of it because we're a community. That there's rejoicing that has happened this week and there has been deep weeping that's happened this week. 
And so what I want to come to you with God's word, and the reason that we, we may only get five or six verses in is because I believe it was hand given to us as a church that, that God wanted us to hear something and see something in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of difficulty. Because if we're not careful, we can shape our whole view of God around a tragedy and not around truth. We can look for answers that we don't have. In fact, I would, I would encourage, strongly encourage you that when your friends go through tragic times, when they go through difficulties and they're asking questions and you don't have the answer, don't make one up. There's a time where we just are with one another, where, where the word of the Lord to us is be still and know that I'm God. That's just it. And so in, in Exodus chapter 19, we are, um, we're following this journey of a way forward of a people who have been held captive, physically held captive, and also have developed a culture of captivity. That means that in their hearts, if you've been a slave for a long time, that all you know is slavery, so much so that slavery feels better than freedom. And we're seeing this, that a people are, are being taught what it means to trust God. And part of how we define freedom is it's an ongoing love relationship with God where, where we're trusting him more, where we're growing in a deeper relationship with him. Freedom doesn't look like us casting off all restraints and doing whatever we want. That really literally, ironically, is bondage. There's some that are shaking their heads right now because there's maybe a period in your life where you were under the impression that that's what freedom was. I get to do whatever I want when I want. In fact, that might be the, the, the definition of our world's idea of freedom, that, that whatever I want, whatever makes me happy, whatever feels good to me, that's my right, and I choose to have that freedom. That freedom leads to captivity. It's not freedom at all. And we're going to see here in just a moment how good God is. That God makes it very, very clear what he desires for his people. And he gives it this desire for his people in, in such a beautiful progression that if we weren't looking closely, we would miss the whole thing and we would, we would interpret God completely wrong. I know that many of you don't sit and hang out and read Leviticus all day. You know, you're not. And by the way, we're looking at some chapters coming up in, in, in Exodus that are like... But, but, but not because they don't mean anything. It's because they're repetitious and they're so detailed and they're so specific. And I'm like, thank you for these first 20 chapters and God give us grace for these next 10. <laughs> but, but if we're not careful, we're, well, we're going to camp out there and not understand what's happening and what God is doing and how amazing God is to be specific with us, to be specific with his people. And so I'd like to start, and if you're looking for a, a title of the message today, the message title is Carried and Called. Carried and Called. The caravan is now moved on, or is moving on. It's, it's literally um, camping out at, at the base of Mount Sinai. Now, there's all kinds of debate on geography. I'd, I'd, I'd send you to, to trusted websites to figure that out. Um, whether this is in Arabia or, or whether this is in the Sinai Peninsula, it sure seems closer to the Sinai Peninsula than it does the Arabian Peninsula. And you're like, so what? Um, okay, yeah, me too. But anyways, but this is where it is. They're at the base of, of, of Mount Sinai. And as with many biblical places, if you go on, on a, a journey to Israel, you're going to find lots of people claiming lots of places. Like, this is the water Jesus drank. No, this is the water Jesus drank. No, this is where he was buried. No, no, this is where he was buried. It's that, it's that vibe. But the point is this. There is a literal mountain in this region, in a literal desert, where these children encamped. And it wasn't like you're too weaker with your easy up and your Yeti. It, it, was, it was 
a million, two, maybe three million, we're not quite sure, but it was a whole refugee nation that was on the move, men, women, and children, and they were going to camp at this spot now for the next better part of a year. This is where they hang out. In fact, this is the last geographic location that we have in the book of Exodus. They're here all the way through all the chapters, all the way through the entire book of Leviticus, and halfway through Numbers. This is where they hang out. In this spot, God shows up, and God shows up in power, and God shows up in clarity, and God shows up in a very specific way. And so I'd like to to begin by reading the first three chapters in Exodus chapter 19. The first um, sentence says this, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they set out from Rephidim, and they came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness There, the children of Israel encamped before the mountain. What's the word that you heard mentioned more than one time? Encamped. I mean, it's letting us know they were encamped, right? They were parked there. And this was their home base. The, the, the thing that we see about the third, third moon is this is a time stamp. If you're looking at a, a, a Jewish calendar, it's a lunar calendar, whereas our calendar, Gregorian calendar, is a, a solar calendar. So they go by the phases of the moon. And their month is, would be Sivan, right? In that month, and apologies for those that know how to actually pronounce that. Um, but in this month would correspond to our uh, part, of Ju- part of May and part of June, right? And so there they are in this spot. I just, for interest's sake, I, I looked up what the weather would be like in that month, in that, air, in that time. And, and guess what it would be? Hot. <laughs> Hot, and, but what was unique about this particular time, at least in, in and we don't know how the, the, the uh, about to get in trouble, we don't know how the climate has changed from then till now, or the cycles of climate, um, that is not a loaded statement, but, but what, but what <laughs> sorry, but what we do know is, is the modern climate would say that that is a period of time where there's gusts of wind and breeziness, so I mean, come on, like if it's, if that was the case then, can you imagine, um, setting up the camp with all different kinds of ages and getting whatever kind of covering you were, and then the thing's blowing all over the place. You know, I mean, it's just this picture of a lot, of, lot going on there in that moment. And so, um, so what we find is that, that it's a, a breezy, hot time. Uh, again, as I already said, it's not like a two-weeker. Um, and, and then we, we come to the mountain where Moses ascends the mountain, and he does something, and as we read through the entire chapter, again, I don't believe we're going to get there today, but there's a progression of up, down, up, down, up, down. It's kind of like um, uh, traditional churches, right? Up, down, up. I thought that would be funnier. I thought that would go over really well. Right? Where you just kind of know where to stand when it said that was the joke. Anyways, the, the significance, Moses ascends the mountain and descends the mountain. That, that he does this several times. That he goes up there to meet with God. And what we know about Moses is that, that he is this mediator. He's one that, remember what God said to him when, when God called him was, basically, you're going to be my mouthpiece. You know, and, and Moses is like, well, I can't, I can't talk real good. He said, we're going to get Aaron with you. We're doing this thing. That's a paraphrase. And so, so when, when he goes to the mountain, God sends him down to give a message to the people. And why that's significant, it's foundational in our Christian life. It's foundational in the Bible because it's different than every other God. Every other God, every Canaanite God, every pagan God is the opposite. They are a God that requires you as a people to come to them and guess what's going to make them happy. You live your life wondering if you've done enough to appease that God. That God does not come to you. 
Our God comes to us. That is what makes all the difference in the world. Our God comes to us, and you need to understand that. It needs to be so foundational in your life that God makes the first move, that God is the initiator, and he initiates by his grace. He's done it in your life. How many of you can say that God met you? You know, I, I, I just remember as a young adult hearing the testimony of this one guy, and they said, hey, man, come up, come up and say how, how, how you were saved. And he said, God picked me up out of the pit of hell. Like, God found me. I did not find God. God found me. That is the truth of our God. He is an initiator, and that's what we see over and over again in this passage. It's, a, it's, it's repetitive, and it's so important. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so God, God initiates by his grace, and I'm going to show you how he does that in just a moment. He makes the first move. Let's look at verse 3. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and how I brought you to myself. He's about to give a lot of detailed law. Chapter 20, you're going to get the Ten Commandments, and then you're going to get sacrifices, and you're going to get regulations on top of that. But, but before he tells them anything that he expects of them, he reminds them of what he's done for them. And I just want you to pause for a moment and think about what God's done for you. I know that he's, he's many of you in this room, he's, he's saved you. Maybe some of you are, are, are still questioning your faith or you're here searching. But he, he, he saved you. But, but, but the things that God has done that God initiated in his goodness... And so before, again, he tells them anything, before he says what he wants them to do, he reminds them what he's done for them. It was an act of God's grace that he lifted them out of Egypt. It was an act of his grace. And he gives an analogy of how he did it. He said, you yourselves saw, this is first generation, you saw what I did, how I bore you on eagle's wings. He's giving us an analogy or a picture. Now, I have to tell you that there's lots of, of... Belief about how an eagle carries something. So much so that I did a deep dive into the internet and found um, some, I'm certain, are Photoshop photos <laughs> of an eagle carrying stuff on its back. <clears throat> Excuse me. Can I get some of that water? Ladies and gentlemen, this is my wife, Rochelle. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um. <laughs> you are good. Um, there is a belief and it's not a um, not scientifically proved but there's some scripture that says something about it but there's a belief that that eagles um, when they're hunting something they use their talons in fact Daniel and I got to see that in, in Montana we were in a in a, in a lake, just hanging out, and it was the coolest thing. It was better than the Discovery Channel, like right in front of us. An eagle sweeps down and just whoom, grabs this beautiful big trout as we're like trying to do this. We're like, hey, come on. But anyways, <clears throat> he grabs this beautiful big trout, and he's just, that thing's not going anywhere, and, and he flies away with it. And um, that summer, we actually got to see that twice. This is an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, but but, but what, what's believed about at least the analogy here in Scripture is that, that God doesn't carry us in his talons. 
that the, 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 the way that the young are carried are, are on the back of the eagle. Okay? And on the back of the eagle, that requires what? The young one to hang on. Right? To hang on. And, and before I get into too much trouble and get all the science people in the room going, no way, dude, you can't do that with aerodynamics or whatever else. Let's just look at what God wants us to hear. Because we could use the internet to, um, to interpret the scripture, or we could use the scripture to interpret the scripture. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, 10 through 12. This is a beautiful time in history because what's happening in this moment is Moses is um, he's transitioning his leadership to, to Joshua. Now, they've been in camp there for many years, generations now, or a generation. And, and he is constructing a song. And in this song, he's referencing back to this chapter 19 uh, encounter with God. And he, he makes reference to this moment. And he's, he's reminding the people. How many of you know a good song reminds you of stuff? There, there are some of you that you're like, oh, turn the station. <laughs> I'm reminded. You know, or... Flip the, uh, <laughs> the playlist, whatever. You're reminded of things that you don't want to remember. But a good song reminds you. It brings your brain right back there. It helps you to, to rehearse things. And so that's why, you know, you get songs that have scripture in them. And you, you know that scripture. And so this is part of the, the culture of Israel. So Moses is constructing this, or he's, he's penning this long song. And in this song, towards the middle of it, um, he writes this. He says, um, and speaking of God, he found him, and when the him is, is referencing the, um, Jacob, right? The people of Jacob, or, or it's a way of just saying the people of Israel, this, 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 this mobile uh, refugee camp of millions. He says, he found them in the desert in a howling waste of wilderness. He encircled him. Listen, he cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings and catching them, and bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. Can I tell you something that, that God wants to give you the soft landing, not the squeezed landing. God wants to, he wants to allow you to fall into his pinions, like into the, the arms of him. He wants to carry you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to deliver you. And earlier, Pastor Scott just put it out there like who needs a touch from the Holy Spirit. Uh, I mentioned even just some names of folks that are going through difficult things. But I would venture to say there's something from all of us in this room that can just say, I need him to carry me. Because don't we grow weary trying to run alone? Don't we grow weary just going, God, come on. Or, God, where are you? You know? Where what Scripture is telling us is that, that he carries us. And he carries us in, a, in such a gracious way. When the eagle, um, regardless of, of how, how this happens, what the mechanics are of that, the eagle bringing you out is an act of grace. It's an act of grace and it's an act of love. And so when this is how, this is how it is that God meets us, he carries us, and then he begins to share with us what he wants for us in our lives the ordinances of God, especially in the Old Testament, the things that he begins to speak to his people are, are detailed, as I said, and 
And when you read the Ten Commandments, you can't look at the Ten Commandments and go, oh, that's so bogus. Like, I mean, come on, they're the Ten Commandments. Like, you look at everyone and you say, if, if I were to live that way, that would be, I would be a good citizen. You know what I'm saying? It's not like this crazy Ten Commandments. Are you with me? When you talk about, like, burying your excrement out in the middle of the desert, which is in there, that's different in the minutia of these laws, right? I'm sorry, but that's just one that I can think of. Or how to lance a certain boil or something like that. Or, you know, what makes you clean or unclean. These are, these are, are, are just examples. The fact that it's detailed is important, but, but for some, they would take that, and some people have, would take that and have such an intense fear that you were going to break one of the commands. So your motivation is 100% fear, right? Your motivation would be fear that, okay, God, I don't want to upset you. I don't want to make you mad. This is where we bargain with God, right? This is where we say to God, hey, if I do this, do me a solid and do that. This goes against the way that God is introducing himself to his people and the foundation of our faith. The way that God introduces himself to us is by his grace. Remember what I've done for you. I delivered you. Now that I've delivered you, I want you to respond by knowing my will. I heard and I I listened to a few good teachers. And one that I like is um, Tim Keller, Timothy Keller. And and he said in there, um, he talked about the fact that if, if we're in love, I'm in love with my wife. If you're in love, you're in love with somebody. You want to find out what pleases them. You want to find out how they're wired. You want to find out um, what would make them happy, what you can do for them. That's knowing what they want. That's knowing their what? Their will, right? This is what my will is. Now, in the same way, as we get into some of this law stuff, we have to remember our posture, our position. We're carried by God's grace. And now that we remember we're carried by his grace, we want to know what is his will? What does he want? And guess what? For the, the people of the Old Testament, they didn't have anything to guess. They had no guesswork. He then says, this is what I want. And so I apologize if it seems like I am droning on and beating a, a dead horse or, or going over and over on a point, but I feel it is so important that we grasp this, that we grasp the fact that before we try to go leaping through hoops and trying to do certain things to please God, that we realize how deeply loved that we are and how carried we are by his grace. And once we understand that, truly understand it, then we're like, what do you want? How can I discover your will? I want to please you. I want to know what you want, and I want to do it. The opposite is dangerous. The opposite is a posture of, I'm not sure what you think about me, but I know if I perform in a certain way, you might like me. If I can show others that I can do X, Y, and Z, maybe I will somehow get your favor. Maybe you'll bless me. It's a pagan way of thinking. And that's why understanding Christianity is so revolutionary. It's completely different than everything. I was thinking about uh, fear motivation. You know, fear motivation, um, it, it's completely performance-based, right? If I do this, I'll be saved. If I do this, I'll be accepted. But the second um, motivation that we have in our relationship with God and, and wanting to know his will and doing it is a grace and a love um, motivation, a love motivation is, is seeing that you see what he's done for you, and now I want to obey you. And I remember in my life, I was, um, I was in high school. I was 15, 16 years old. And I had tried, and I was very, I was a scared dude, you know. Being raised in the church in that point in time, I, I, I thought, 
man, the, the end is coming any minute and someone's going to stamp a 666 on my forehead and some dragon's going to come. I mean, I had so confused the end times eschatology because of so many movies and stuff. So you're shaking your head, you're knowing you're right around my age, and you're like, yeah, dude, let's have a support group. <laughs> it, it was all done, it was all done um, not with, with wrong motives. It, some, some of these things were just this fascination with what was happening in that moment in history and wanting people to get saved. But what it stirred inside of me was such a, a fear motivation. So I wanted to perform. I wanted to make sure that I didn't get, you know, accidentally take the mark of the beast somehow, you know, just like, ooh, I didn't know I took the mark of the beast. Ooh, sorry, you know. <laughs> and so you're, you're going through life like that. And, and I remember like an earthquake happened and I was laying in my bed and the earthquake was just, <laughs> isn't it crazy living in California? Like, like where else is there, like, do, do walls actually do this, like this? I remember the walls doing that, but what, was, um, what, what stood out in my mind about this particular earthquake was that it was loud. When an earthquake rumbles, when the earth rumbles, I mean, it freaks you out, especially when it wakes you up, especially when, you're, when your theology is so messed up and you're 15, you know? And so I'm like, the bed is shaking and, and things are moving and I'm probably making it way more dramatic than it was, but it makes for a good story. But anyways, uh, so, so it's happening. And, I'm, and, and the thing that I remember the most is that I was hanging on not going like this. I was hanging on because I was scared, going, if this is it, like, like somehow hanging on to the bed's going to keep me from you know, being brought to Jesus. But it made me think. If I believe in God and God is love and, you know, and all these things that I'm hearing... Shouldn't I be like this, not like this? You see, what fear does is it gets you like this. But love gets you like this. And that was the start of something for me. And, and, and Jesus met me in like a really dramatic way. Um, some of you have heard the, the testimony that I've shared before. But, but for, for, for me, we, we were evangelizing. We were sharing our faith in a, in a really uh, crazy situation on a Halloween night. And um, it was in, on Hollywood Boulevard, and it was, it was just madness. And a, a part of that, one, one person had a, a heavy cross, and they were carrying the cross. And as they were carrying the cross down the street through the parties and the, everything else, people were mocking, and, you know, and, and, and they were using this symbol or this real cross as a way of telling people about Jesus. And so we saw the person doing it, and my elder brother thought it would be a good idea if we took a turn. And I was like, no! <laughs> And my brother took a turn, and he carried the cross, and I, I watched people mock him, and my pastor, youth pastor was with us, and he took a turn on the cross, and then this was the moment that changed my life, that my brother said, hey, it's your turn to carry the cross, and he dropped it on my shoulder as only a big brother could. <laughs> it, wasn't a, it wasn't a light cross with a wheel on it, it was a heavy cross that was a beam, and I felt the weight of it on my shoulder, I Took, I heard the voices of people cussing and hollering and spitting and throwing stuff at us. And it, was a, it was a scene. And I carried the cross, and I felt it, and I heard it, and I experienced something that I would just not trade for the world. And I like to say, in my mind, I carried it for a mile, but it probably literally was 25 feet. And within that 25 feet of just realizing something like, he loves me. He did this. That my... My walk with him is not based in fear. It's based in love. 
that every story in the Bible is true, and it all led to this point. It led to this point of Jesus going the distance to suffer and die on a cross for my sins. And I can't tell you how, and I can't tell you the words, and I can't tell you the moment, but I can tell you that's where God, by his grace, put me on eagle's wings. That's where I know that he carried me. And I remember distinctly, I remember this one thing that I said in my heart, and I said it to the Lord. I remember saying, wow, if you did this, if you did this for me, everything I have is yours. And it wasn't like this hard, like, oh, you know, I'm 15, what do I have, right? But like, but... But, but it wasn't like, oh, man, i got to give up my hopes and dreams, and yeah, I'm never going to be rich. or you know what? It wasn't like that at all, because, because when you understand God's love, you want to respond in love. And some of you have a very similar story in your salvation, but I think we need to be reminded of it. Moses wanted to make sure that the children of Israel were reminded that they were carried on wings, and that they were loved by God, and they were delivered by God, and that they had a story. And as a result they in turn would respond back to God, loving him. Does this make sense? So I am accepted and loved, therefore I obey, not the other way around. I obey and therefore I'm accepted. You notice that in that little saying that the word obedience isn't taken out of either one though. Obedience is always there and God is in Exodus chapter 19 straight up terrifying terrifying, so much so that he's telling the the people, hey, Moses, you need to remind them, go back down and tell them don't come near the mountain. And if they come near the mountain, shoot them. It's in there. Now now you you can go back and look at it on your own. God is holy. And so out of his holiness, um, he he says some things to them. But I want to read this New Testament passage just as a, um, to reinforce something. And here's what it says in John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, 12, um, 9 through 12, excuse me. Verse 9 reads, This is love. The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he's loved us. That's the wonder. Isn't that the miracle? I mean, come on. When we really understand what God's done, it's no wonder that we love him. He died for our sins. He paid the price. He he gave us the opportunity to spend eternity with him in heaven and not separated from God. Why wouldn't we love him? What's the miracle? The miracle is that he loved us. The miracle is that he loved me, that he loved you. That's what love is. He is the initiator. God is the initiator of acts of grace over our life. And those acts of grace lead towards obedience. It says this in this love that not... Only um, we have loved God, but he loved us and sent sent his son to be propitiation. That's a good word, isn't it? Paying the price for our sins. In verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so now the, the children of Israel would have the opportunity to work out this perfection of love that was happening in them. They're going to get to go for a lot of years and have a lot of tests and trials and learning how to work out their, fe- their faith. And that's similar and coincides with what we're doing right now. How do we work out our faith? How do we work out in tragedy, in difficulty, in tragic loss? How do we work these things out? When we get news that we're not expecting to get and it changes everything, how do we work it out? Does it change his acts of grace? Does it change his love? 
Does it, does it turn us towards him to where we say, okay, God, all I can do is hang on to you right now because you're carrying me. You're carrying me. Peggy, I've heard you say it many times that God is carrying you through things and, and he's buoying you up through the tragedies that you faced in your life. This is our testimony. And unfortunately, I can't stand up here and tell you the story that in this world you won't have tribulation because Jesus did not say that. I can't build a theology for you that says, hey, play by the rules and you're going to make sure everything's going to be just fine. What I can say is that you can be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. This is not our home. This isn't it. And the more that we experience the difficulty and the rumblings of the things that happen, the less comfortable we are here. And some will will become more and more depressed and some will become more and more anxious over it and, and long for better days, long to get back to normal, back to what we used to have. And others will get their eyes towards heaven, towards a, a new heaven, towards something greater, right? That the, that the heroes of the faith, Hebrews chapter 12, what they had their eyes on, excuse me, 11 and 12. It's heavy, isn't this? It's heavy stuff. But listen to this. Listen to the heart of God. This is verse 5, if you're back with me in, in Exodus chapter 19. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Listen to what he says. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For the earth is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God, through Moses, was saying, come down, come down to them and tell them this, right? Tell them this. And we know their response probably wasn't really well thought out. They were like, yes, we will do everything you said. Just moments later, we're reading that they're making a golden calf and going, it wasn't God that got us out, it was this calf. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I learned this as I studied this week that um, to be the, that the Hebrew word for uh, treasured possession, right? God's covenant is you. Uh, my act of grace has led to this moment. You obey me. You do my will. And here's the result. The first thing is you'll be a treasured people. I learned that this Hebrew word for treasured, um, it speaks to uh, an enormous amount of wealth, but specifically it's traced back to monarchs. So a king would be the one who owned everything in the kingdom, right? So it's like, how can a king really measure his wealth? He owns everything. But the word that it's used marks his personal treasure chest, the things that mean most to him. That's the specific word. And so when we look at it that way, uh, one of the things that was said about this word of treasured was my own personal delight. So that a king who owned everything would say, but this that I also own is my own personal delight. Wow. Could you even take that in? Could you even realize that that's not the, the, the word of the Lord for your friend who you think is super Christian, but that's a word for you. That you in your worst moment, out of his crazy love, he finds you his own personal delight. The next thing that he says is that a part of the covenant is that you will be a holy nation. And this would be defined as a different kind of human society. 
right? This is something that means that, you know, when we look at Jesus preaching of the kingdom of God, it's a very upside down world of those that pray for those that are their enemies, that, that bless those that curse them, and on and on. But this is a different kind of human society that God wanted to shape out of his people, Israel. And then finally, he says that you'll be a kingdom of priests. And the priests are the mediators that bring the people to God. If we have this relationship of love, then, then we're actually the light of the world. Then we're showing people God's glory. That not just me up here from this glass pulpit, but, but, but you and all of us together, the church, the light of the world, that we get to be a kingdom of priests, this different kind of, of human nation. It's people that brings people to God. And so as we kind of wrap these things up, and um, man, I'm sure glad I decided only to do six verses because, or seven, because we'd be now getting into some serious stuff and I'd be speaking really fast for the next 10 minutes. Um, come back next week and we'll, we'll round this chapter out. <laughs> but for this week, let me take you back to one simple truth that each and every one of you are carried by him. At least that's his longing. Do you remember Jesus weeping over Jerusalem? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to, to like cover you, care for you. But you wouldn't let me. I'm paraphrasing once again because I can't remember the exact passage. But the, the heart of Jesus, that's what it, that was his heart, right? And so I wonder today if, if and, and I know that there are some that are in the room that, that again, I just want to speak into your life that he's carrying you. Some of you know it, and some of you have yet to experience it. But Elaine, I'm thinking about you. I know that he's carrying you. Connie, I know that God is carrying you. Doug and Martha, he's carrying you. Joe, he's carrying you. And what I wanted to do is, for those of us that, and there are others, and I apologize if if I've missed some that are going through tremendous tragedies, But I want to invite you to to respond to his desire. I want to invite you to respond to his act of grace, to God coming to you. And the the way that we can respond to that is just in our our worship. I want to invite the worship team to come back. And um, Martha and Doug, if it's okay with you, I want to invite your church family to come around you. You don't have to come up here. We'll come to you. That's That's the message, right? That for those of you that, that know Doug and Martha or want to pray for them, um, that you would go to them. And there are others that I mentioned that may be near you, that you would reach out to them and, and that, that you would be a part of the hands and the feet of Jesus. That you would be the, the, the physical representation of his comfort and his carrying. And so as they sing this song, we sang it in, in our, our worship earlier, and the, the heart of it comes from the book of Lamentations. This will I call to mind. Therefore, I hope because of the Lord's great love, I've been redeemed. Um, I asked Ben to read it out of the New Living Translation because it has such a, uh, a strong impact. And um, as you hear these words, um, we're going to end in worship and we're going to be the church today um, that we bless those that need blessing, that we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And so if you have needs of any kind as they sing this song, um, you're welcome to come to these altars. We want to pray for you, not to just say, hey, bless you, be at peace, but we want to put, um, put feet to that blessing and put 
just the, our, our laying our hands on you to say, may God bless you and keep you. And so that opportunity is, is here for you at the altar. And if you're at a place where you're like, man, I don't want any of that. I just, I just want to be with him. Then just be still and know that he's God in your circumstance, in your situation, in your personal tragedy, in the, in the tragedy of the moment that we're living in and whatever we're facing. Um, receive the word of the Lord. Be still and know that he's God because there really aren't answers to many things that we suffer in tragedy outside of the brokenness of humanity. But we know this, God is good and God carries us. He carries us on his pinions, which are his feathers. Can you read that? Lamentations 3, starting in verse 20 in New Living Translation. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord.
I would like to ask you that uh, for some that are ministering or being ministered to, just continue what you're doing. But I'd like to ask that this become a house of prayer in this moment. And that we begin to lift up needs. Um, I've, I've mentioned several names and you can pray for them. But yesterday as I was with the officer who had um, crashed in his helicopter, I told him, he said, please pray. Please pray. I said, oh, I will. And our church will pray. And I, wanna, I, I want to um, bring them before the, God's throne of grace. And so if you can begin to, to pray, uh, I'm going to give you a first name. First name is RJ. If you pray for, for him and his family. I'm also going to give you the name of two others, Chrissy and Dylan. And I just want you to lift those names. God knows who they are. God knows what their need is. And I want to just ask you to begin to lift up prayer and praying for the entire Huntington Beach Police Department, as well as law enforcement in Orange County, that this hits them different than it hits you and I. It is a tragic loss. And we begin in a, in a season where they have endured many difficulties. We want to pray um, the comfort of the Holy Spirit and pray God's blessing over them. It's part of what the Word of God tells us to do. And so let's begin to do that where you're at. Lift up those names and lift up these departments, please. Some of you have things to do, and we respect and honor that, and we're going to, in just a moment, um, close our service, but we're going to leave our altar area open for anyone who needs prayer. And God, I pray over your people now, in this moment, 
may they know that they're carried by you. At least that is your longing. That is your first move. That is your act of grace. The one who delivers, the one who's mighty to save. And Lord, by that same grace, would you help us to hang on tight to you, to cling to you, regardless of what we face, that we might find in clinging to you, we can be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. May we also, God, receive our calling as your bride and your people. That, Lord, we would receive that that calling to accept the fact that we're highly treasured by you and that out of that treasure that you find in us that we would respond in love back to you through obeying you and wanting to know your will. That we would be this new kind of society that you long for, this kingdom of priests, this holy nation, God, those that declare the praises of you who've brought us out of darkness and into this marvelous light. Lord, I pray that you'd rest upon your people in a powerful way even today. Thank you for reminding us of your goodness, Lord. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to respond to it with our worship. We love you. We worship you. We bless your name. You're good. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you.
and through it all.